Welcome to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. My name is Mark Holthy. I'm an immigration lawyer practicing in the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. This is our fourth episode, and today we will be discussing some crucial facts that Canadian employers and prospective immigrants need to know about the Express Entry Program. Now, in the past, I've always taken a very practical approach. This is what you do. This is how it impacts you directly. Today, we're going to talk at a a little bit higher level. And in fact, we're going to dissect what the Express Entry Program is really doing and how it will impact on people that seek to use it, either to become a permanent resident or as as an employer, uh, to retain key staff. Now, the substance of my discussion actually comes from a a great fact sheet that was recently produced by the Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Section in response to the government's, um, well, I, I don't want to call it propaganda, but they've really hyped the program. And so the purpose of this fact sheet is just to bring to the attention of, of everyone that all things are not always as positive as the government spins them. And so uh, we're going to be discussing 13 separate facts, if you will, that we feel really um, impact on how people access the program and uh, that are important for them to know as they go into the process of submitting a profile, if they're an applicant or a candidate, uh, or supporting the express entry process uh, as an employer through, uh, through a job offer. Now, within my show notes, I'll make sure that I leave a copy uh, of, of the, well, at least the text of, of, of these, this fact sheet, and I'll also try to provide links once they're made available through the Canadian Bar Association's website. However, before I do that, I do want to give credit to uh, two lawyers in particular that were instrumental in the creation of this document, first being Betsy Kane a good friend that practices with the office of Capel Kane in Ottawa, who uh, originated the first draft of this, uh, what were 14 points, now they're, they're 13. Um, and in addition to, to Betsy, who did just some phenomenal work on this, uh, Gordon Maynard, who practices with the firm of Maynard, Kisher and Stoichevic in Vancouver, British Columbia, who was also very instrumental in helping to uh, create the initial drafts of this document. Now, just to give you a little bit of information, whenever anything goes out through the CBA, it has to be vetted by a number of different levels. And so um, I was a member of the working group, uh, the Express Entry Working Group, amongst other uh, just excellent lawyers across the country uh, who assisted and, and, and vetted and edited the document before it was created and released uh, just last Friday in its final form. And so just going forward, I wanted to just identify specifically Betsy and Gordon for the great work that they did. It's been a pleasure for me to work with them. And uh, if you're ever in those areas seeking immigration counsel, uh, without any doubt, I would not hesitate to recommend them. They are uh, really, really experienced, well-respected members of the bar, uh, both within the Canadian Bar Association and across the country within our immigration bar. So moving on, um, what I intend to do is go through each of these points and then elaborate a little bit more and give you some context as to why we've included them. So the first point to understand is that Express Entry, the program itself, is not simply a case management system. It actually imposes 
a new layer of requirements before a prospective applicant uh, is even invited to apply for permanent residence through one of the three affected economic classes. And we know that those three programs are the Federal Skilled Worker, the Federal Skilled Trade, and the Canada Experience class. Now, uh, CIC um, has really, really been proud of this program, and even before it's even started, and it has been uh, uh, the subject of much fanfare. Obviously, it's not, like I said, just a case management system, but it creates some fundamental changes to how people access these programs. So it's not just a way in which they can select candidates that they like. The reality is, in some cases, how you qualify for programs is significantly affected. And as I've discussed in some of my other blogs and and podcasts, um, individuals who want to be selected and, and given an invitation to apply really need to have a labor market impact assessment now. And as I get into some of these other points, you'll see why that's significant. But understand, this is not just a case management system. The second point is um, is that the language CIC uses leads one to believe that prospective immigrants simply need a job offer to rank highly under the Express Entry Program. Well, the reality is that this is not just any job offer. In fact, in order to rank the highest in the pool, you have to have a job offer that has been approved um, by a federal labor market impact assessment. So it can also be supported by a provincial government nomination through one of the PNP programs. But the reality is, if you want to get selected under express entry, you're going to have to have one of these, uh, these two things. Now, the government has also indicated initially, like I said, that they, they don't anticipate that the first draw within the express entry will be filled completely by LMIA or provincial uh, nomination uh, candidates, but that pe- people may be able to qualify with human capital alone. However, it is the government's intention that uh, going forward, only those applicants that have LMIA-supported um, profiles will really be drawn. Okay, so a couple other items. Uh, number three, um, LMIA applications actually require employers to undertake extensive recruitment campaigns, something that we know exists. Um, they have to prove that there's no Canadian citizen or permanent resident available for the position, which is typically what happens when you're applying for a work permit that is supported by an LMIA. Uh, the exacting compliance regime applicable to the Temporary Foreign Worker Program will therefore also apply to employers seeking to recruit permanently under express entry. So what they've effectively what they've done is they've taken the Foreign Worker Program, and um, as we are aware, and some of you may be aware, this past summer they overhauled the Foreign Worker Program and made it much, much more difficult to secure an LMIA. Now they've taken those same standards and same principles and basically imposed those over the permanent resident program. So only where companies can truly prove and show that there's no Canadian or permanent resident that can fill the position will those positions then be targeted uh, for um, candidates within the express entry program. So, uh, so that's something to, to, to really pay attention to. Um, if number four... If there is no LMIA or the employer does not qualify to participate in one of the PNP programs, 
the employer has to advertise on the on the National Job Bank, and uh, they have to pursue all recruitment activities designed to attract Canadian citizens or permanent residents to replace even the existing employee in order to qualify for an LMIA. So employers will be required to justify why they have not hired Canadians to replace the incumbent worker that's with them right now. And uh, this applies to any foreign worker who wants to apply for permanent residence. Um, as long as they want the federally approved job offer, um, and this includes your senior managers, your executives, and your specialized knowledge workers now employed in Canada through LMIA-exempt programs. So individuals, even at very high levels, who've been uh, brought in through intercompany transfers or otherwise, and understand Canada has many reciprocal agreements with other countries, including the United States, where our Canadians can be transferred equally into those, uh, those different uh, countries, and in many cases, uh, pursue permanent residence in like manner. But now our government is imposing an added requirement of obtaining an LMIA before they're actually able to be uh, drawn through uh, the express entry process. And now I'll qualify once again. Initially, they say that candidates may be able to qualify with their human capital alone. In other words, their language ability, their work history, their education, those unique personal identifiers. And uh, and so even those who come in under intercompany transfer or otherwise pretty much have to get an LMIA. So the company has to advertise uh, the position for that incumbent employee. Number five, for professionals and intracompany transferees who qualify to work in Canada without an LMIA under one of the international agreements, um, as I indicated, employers will now need to obtain an LMIA or a provincial nomination to attain some measure of certainty uh, about that person's eligibility for permanent residence status. So this is a little bit of an ext uh, extension of, of point number four. But even those who come in under um, treaty agreements, international trade agreements, such as the North American Free Trade Agreement, the Canada-Chile Free, Free Trade Agreement, and others, um, even though they've come in under these perfectly acceptable reciprocal arrangements, those candidates would need to obtain an LMIA often in order to be able to rank the highest and qualify. Now, the sixth point. This is something that all international students need to understand. Pretty much every student that's on a postgrad work permit now believed when they applied to come to Canada to study that there would be a very facilitative pathway to permanent residence. And that's how it was offered. And I'll bet any money that the, the international uh, students, when they were exploring which countries to go to, took that into consideration. And in fact, many of the education agents out there and, and local um, Canadian uh, post-secondary institutions probably uh, use that as one of their uh, marketing campaigns to draw students to Canada, that there would be a pathway to permanent residence. Well, for international uh, students who have completed their studies, um, that's not the case anymore. In other words, they too have to obtain an LMIA or a provincial nomination to compete for that elusive ITA, that invitation to apply. So this means that international graduates who are not provision, provincially nominated will actually have to have their entry-level job offers vetted by ESDC to assess whether they're taking the job of a Canadian citizen. 
And employers of new graduates will have to demonstrate that they are prepared to pay international graduates above entry-level wages. And when we say above, this is in some cases even above the average wage for the occupation. And um, they have to, to show that, uh, that their newly acquired skills are in demand in the Canadian labor market. So this drastically changes the pathway to permanent residence for international students. And this is something that we have addressed specifically within our most recent submission to the, the uh, Citizenship and Immigration Canada on behalf of the Canadian Bar Association. Um, you know, for years and years, they, they, they advertised and, and, and um, really let the world know that Canada was open to international students and that one of the drawing uh, features was the, the possibility of permanent residence. And so um, now that is considerably changed. And only those candidates that are able to show that they are in a position that is, uh, you know, um, in, in, in such demand that there's no Canadian that could fill it, only those individuals that can secure, at least the companies can secure LMIAs, will really be able to qualify. Number seven, any Canadian employer within the key tourist destinations like Whistler and Banff here in my home province, um, have traditionally relied on long-standing bilateral youth exchange programs, such as the International Experience Class and the Working Holiday Programs, etc., to bring in foreign students to meet the demand within these high tourist destinations, whether they were ski lift operators in the winter or um, individuals who worked at these resorts in the summer in a variety of capacities. They now, too, have to go through the same regime as anyone else if the company wants to keep them. Now, don't get me wrong. I have no issue whatsoever with Canadians being given the first opportunity at these positions. However, in these cases, and in many circumstances, there are simply no Canadians to perform those jobs. None that are able to, especially in the winters, work the ski lifts full-time, you know, students and, and youth are often in school during those, those, um, those times of year. And so these resorts rely heavily on these international um, youth through the, you know, like I said, the working holiday program and other international experience class programs. But now if an employer wants to keep these individuals for uh, any, any length of time, uh, they're going to have to uh, go through the LMIA process. And uh, even when these people have proven themselves integral to the operations, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens within the, the tourist industry and the hospitality sectors because of these rule changes. And only time will tell. Point number eight. So genuine and well-intentioned employers will be forced to falsely advertise vacancies and clog Canada's newly improved job bank with positions that are already filled by highly qualified, skilled personnel. Some examples are, are Canadian research chairs and CEOs of major companies. So just to clarify, even if you are currently employing a CEO in your company and you want to keep that CEO permanently, unless there is an option through one of the PNP programs uh, to retain them on a permanent basis through one of the existing streams that work outside of the express entry category, 
you're pretty much going to need to re-advertise the CEO's position uh, and meet the minimum it, uh, advertising requirements of Service Canada in order to submit an application for a labor market impact assessment to support the express entry uh, application of this CEO. And it seems quite absurd. Uh, obviously, once again, we it's important to protect um, the Canadian workforce. However, in some positions where clearly the individual was selected um, because of the, the, uh, the way in which they are going to help that particular company grow economically, uh, including protecting the, the jobs of Canadians, these CEOs in these C-suite level positions, um, the company is going to have to go through and, and falsely advertise vacancies. And we're not even talking about the employment ramifications from a legal standpoint of, of, uh, of advertising for a position of a CEO. And in many cases, these companies are publicly traded, so you can imagine what it's like when you've got your CEO and someone sees an advertisement to replace them, what that effect that's going to have within the stock markets. So it'll be curious to see what exemptions they create or um, whether they're going to soften some of these very, very harsh requirements. Because right now, the uh, regulatory regime that they have released uh, back on December the 1st clearly sets out that in order to qualify, uh, you need to have a labor market impact assessment uh, in the vast majority of cases. And I'm not going to waste a lot of time getting into the nuances of those that could possibly qualify uh, with human capital alone. But in the end, as the, as the quota fills up and people start to realize that LMIAs are necessary, um, it really will be the only option for uh, obtaining an invitation to apply from the government. The ninth point uh, relates to individuals when they're creating their personal profile. And this is in the context of the pre-application phase. The government has recently um, introduced some pretty harsh bans for individuals who have uh, been found to have misrepresented anything within their applications. And so what this means for people when they're completing the information sections within their electronic profile, they must ensure 100% accuracy. Because if they allege that they have a degree, but maybe they haven't quite yet completed it, or that they have a certain level of language, um, Canadian language benchmark points, uh, or a score at a certain level, but yet they haven't yet written the exam, it is possible that individuals could be found to have misrepresented on their applications. And the immigration offense for misrepresentation carries a ban of five years on entry to Canada. And so even data entry errors, clerical errors, or, or a candidate misunderstanding uh, possibly the requirements within the pre-application phase, this could all be construed by CIC as misrepresentation. So it's critical, absolutely critical, that candidates uh, review the instructions very carefully. And uh, in all honesty, at this stage, when so much is riding on this express entry, um, it's highly advisable that they get a second opinion, someone to look at it, assess it, uh, you know, retain a, an immigration lawyer to, to provide advice on the submission of the profile. But that's a separate discussion. Point number 10, on receipt of an ITA, applicants could have their selection or invitation to apply revoked 
if they fail to perfectly complete their application, and this is the permanent resident application portion, after your the invitation to apply um, is, is granted. So as you're completing it through the new online portal, um, which CIC will release on January the 1st of 2015, if um, if they do not get everything perfectly completed, um, it's possible that the, the application will just be returned by CIC and um, they'd have to resubmit a new profile into the pool and hope that they receive a second invitation to apply. And understand that uh, LMIAs, if they are permanent LMIAs, probably have a certain shelf life, and we're hoping that it's going to be longer than the six months that a regular labor market impact assessment um, has in terms of validity. We suspect it probably will. But uh, who wants to have to go back and resubmit everything right from the get-go and wait for a new invitation to draw, or invitation to apply through the draw system, uh, all because they forgot to include a birth certificate or something very innocuous as that? And the reality is the government, as I've indicated, has, has repeatedly said that they do not pay or do not intend to pay their CIC employees to think everything is going to be automated. So if they have a list of, of check boxes they're, they're trying to check off, if you do not complete your application perfectly, it's just going to get returned. Okay, point 11. Um, provincial nominees right now, they uh, can apply for permanent residence without necessarily taking a language test through some of the categories. Alberta has, has it, and, and British Columbia as well, I believe. And so you can go through as a skilled worker without having to write a language test to be nominated for permanent residence. So in this case, with express entry, individuals who would not otherwise have to take a language test or, in some cases, have their foreign educational credentials assessed, will have to do so now if they want to go through the, the, the provincial nomination pool within the express entry stream. And also, it's worth pointing out that C, CEC applicants with foreign education um, who do not usually need an educational assessment will need one to rank higher under the comprehensive ranking system. So foreign secondary and post-secondary educational credentials um, each require the, the ECA uh, in order to get CRS points. So obtaining an educational credential assessment from a CIC-accredited third party um, can be super time-consuming. And right now, with the limited number of third-party assessors, processing times are climbing to two, three, or longer uh, months. Um, and if you're racing to get an application in through Express Entry so that um, you, know, you can remain in Canada because your work permit is expiring... Well, boy, good luck trying to get uh, an ECA quickly these days, unless something changes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how the government has really imposed uh, these additional requirements on people uh, who otherwise wouldn't have to do so through the traditional provincial nomination stream. Now, what we know from PNP to this stage is that probably those programs are going to modify their requirements so that if you want to receive a PNP-sponsored entry into the express entry stream, they're probably going to make changes within their own programs to bring them in line with, uh, with CIC, so that if you do qualify into the PNP, you'll also qualify under the federal streams, whether it's the Federal Skilled Trades, uh, the Federal Skilled Worker, or CEC. 
The twelfth point relates to the government's electronic system uh, for matching employers with suitable applicants. Well, at this stage, there's a complete lack of transparency, transparency and certainty. We, we really don't have any clue what this is going to look like. They've tried to explain a little bit in some of the outreach programs to the employers and to their recent authorized representative uh, um, uh, webinar that they provided. However, there's a lot of uncertainty. And the reality is, um, it gives the perception that Canada is really not open for business. Uh, if companies can't ascertain in advance whether they are able to retain key personnel in Canada for longer durations, they're going to question whether to transfer the, the world's best and brightest uh, to a country where the immigration programs are, you know, they, they don't offer concrete criteria for selection. So there's still quite a bit of uncertainty in that, uh, you know, in that area. And uh, if Canada is truly seeking to attract the best and brightest, as I indicated to um, uh, a recent CBC reporter um, who did a, an article on Express Entry here uh, just, uh, uh, just today, the reality is it's going to give people pause. It's going to give companies pause as to whether they want to enter into the, you know, the immigration uh, streams within, within Canada. They'll simply look elsewhere to other, other countries that offer uh, more flexible um, options for senior and, and key uh, personnel. Okay, 13. Under express entry, the government has promised to process applications in six months or less. And wow, that sounds great. That sounds awesome to be able to do that when right now we're looking at processing times often of, of greater than two years for most of the permanent resident categories. So timely processing of these applications is is obviously key to Canada's ability to compete for global talent. So we're seeing Australia, for example, and New Zealand, who these express entry models patterned after, um, secure permanent residence or offer and complete the permanent resident process for candidates in you know under six months. And uh, my own my own brother, who is uh, he's actually in in Australia right now, immigrated with his family to Australia and had his permanent residence in under six months, and he. He went over with a master's in social work and he had good education and good human capital and those kinds of things. But he was able to get in really under six months. So for our government to be able to achieve that standard, that's great. That standard, that's great, without a doubt. However, there are some questions that we have with respect to this process. Because remember, six months means six months from the date that they receive or accept a permanent resident application as being complete and then start to process it. So not the time a person swimming in the uh, express entry pool or the time between getting the invitation to apply and actually filing the application. It's at some point, and we're not entirely certain when that will that clock will start to run, but probably when they accept the application for processing, um, it's at that stage that the six month period will, you know, that, that uh, service standard will start to apply. However, currently, there is a mechanism to allow people whose work permits are expiring to obtain a bridging permit to, uh, to bridge the time until their permanent status is granted. Well, CIC has stated that bridging work permits under Express Entry will be available only after approval in principle. Well, this requires an assessment of the application on its merits, and by delaying eligibility for a bridging work permit, applicants and Canadian employers cannot rely on a seamless transition from temporary to permanent residence. Now, 
CIC, in all honesty, is taking away an existing benefit of allowing that bridging work permit once an acknowledgement of receipt of PR has been issued. And that's how they have been doing it currently. When the application is receipted and being accepted um, uh, for processing, it's at that stage that the bridging permit can be issued. But now under express entry, they're indicating that it's at basically at the first stage of approval, which is a later date. And we're not entirely certain how long this is going to be, but still that's, a, that's something that's being taken away from existing applicants. So these are some of the high-level discussion points that we've been thinking about and are really seeking clarification from from CIC. And uh, ultimately, if we get responses to some of these questions that we have or further clarification, I'll definitely bring these up in future episodes. However, this is just uh, more uh, more of a food for thought, I guess, for those that are interested in understanding how Express Entry operates at a very high level. However, when we receive our uh, response to the submission that we've drafted and submitted to CIC, uh, I'll make sure to discuss this, uh, like I said, in future podcasts. So this concludes the fourth episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm Mark Holthy, uh, an immigration lawyer practicing in the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. And uh, we would uh, I'd encourage you to, if you have any any questions that you would like to ask to um, go to my website and you can submit them electronically um, in written form uh, through our our interface there. Or if you'd like to leave me a voice message, you can also click on the tab that's on the right side of my website called Ask an Immigration Question and leave a voice message for me. These questions are responded to in my other podcast called Canadian Immigration uh, Answers. And uh, we try to do those regularly as questions come in. Um, If you need any direct assistance or otherwise with anything, feel free to contact us and book uh, an appointment for a paid consult. Um, Look forward to uh, our next podcast, which should be coming shortly as more details are released uh, regarding Express Entry and its, um, its scheduled launch on January the 1st, 2015. Thanks a lot.